Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. recording live so if you want to be famous in my little ecosystem of the podcast you know please speak up you know but keep in mind that uh, another reason I'm recording too is just to document why what you know goes on the classroom and that way um, I could go back and listen and if we have a really engaging conversation something I want to share you know that was just a really cool moment we can we can capture that so but this uh, first part we are now jumping into chapter one of the lecture, which starts off talking about managing and performing. And so this is the principles of management class. How many of you have ever been in a management position? Yeah. All right. So about half the class. All right. How many of you have had a job before? A lot of you have had a job before. Yeah. Right. How many of you have had a bad manager at a job before? A lot of you. Right. So what made that manager bad? The way he performed his actions. What do you mean by that? Right. There's some favoritism involved. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> Right. This only kept me around because I know what I'm doing. Sure. But there's other people that get more privileges. Right. You got something, Derek? Oh, yeah. When managers are more of a boss than a leader. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, we're going to get into all that. Um, talking about the difference between a manager and a leader. I'll say that one good tip I can give you right out of the gate is to always try to frame things in a positive context when you're with your people because you're the leader. You're the person in charge. And if you're freaking out and losing your mind about what's going on, what kind of confidence does that instill in your people, right? You're there supposed to know what's going on, to understand the situation, to have control of things. And if you're losing control, if you're lashing out, if you're angry, your people are not going to have confidence in you. They're not going to follow you. you know what I mean, you're just not going to have a lot of buy-in. I'll say that what I observe, I believe that roughly 80% of all managers are not very effective managers. That's a high number, I know, but I believe it's somewhere in that neighborhood because I've seen a lot of poor management. And guess what I think the number one contributing factor to that is? Lack of training and education, right? So... I mean, you could be a really effective associate or somebody that's, you know, below management, and then you get promoted into management, well, the same rules don't apply now. You know, you've got, to, there's a difference between being, being good with customers and merchandise or a service that you're providing and being good with people. And uh, a lot of managers are not very good with interpersonal skills. They're not good at managing people. Uh, they're not very organized. And... 
because of those things, what ends up happening is that it manifests in the form of anger. So they're the angry manager now. They're mad. They, they, they are not you know, fun to talk to or nice to be around because they're angry because they have a confidence problem themselves. They feel like at any moment somebody's going to figure out that they really don't know what they're doing and they're going to lose their job or somebody else is going to show up and, and, and take their job. And so they're in a really uh, kind of an insecure position themselves. And you see that, you know, you, when you see people that are insecure, they manifest anger and fear, right? And so a uh, little bit of background about me. Um, I've had some management positions. Uh, when I was 21, I worked at a place called Main Street Beer Company, which was a microbrewery. Um, and basically uh, managed a staff of waiters. It was a restaurant you know, industry. Um, after that, I worked as a sales associate at Toyota. Saw a lot of bad management in that industry. Um, just, uh, it wasn't a really you know, great uh, industry to work in for me at least. There's a lot of uh, dishonesty and shady stuff. It is true what they say about car sales, but there is, you know, profit is their number one motive, you know, and the customer, um, and that was a problem for me. The customer consideration is kind of secondary, and coming from a service industry, I had learned to take care of the customer, right? You want to take care of the customer, make the customer happy, but I was pulled into the office one day when I was at uh, the, car, the car dealership, and they told me, you got to get off the side of the customer, and that was like something that they teach and train people. It's like something that they had learned and it was routine for them to tell people to get off the side of the customer. Basically, you're here to support us and make us money. You're not here to support the customer and get them what they want, you know. And that was a weird thing for me to swallow, you know. So suffice it to say, I didn't stay long in that position. It's just under a year I left and my dad opened up a car, a small car lot, and I worked for him for a couple of years. Um, Ultimately, ended up saying, you know, I just, I'm not a car, car guy. It's just not my fit for me. So I went back to the restaurant industry while I finished school. I worked for a place called Oasis Oyster Bar. I was an oyster bar manager. Uh, enjoyed that. And then got my first quote unquote career type job working at Walmart as assistant manager. I did that for five years. And even though, like, it was mostly a negative experience because of, you're, you, as an assistant manager, you're dealing with the negativity from the customers, the upper managers. Uh, and it's just, it's just you're in the middle caught between all, a lot of that negativity. Um, even though there's a lot of negative associated with it, I learned a lot about business, about corporate businesses, and about uh, inventory management. Uh, and so it's a good learning opportunity, even though it wasn't a good fit for me. About halfway through that journey, I decided I've got to get to where I belong, and I didn't know where that was. And it was higher education. You know, my mom's a teacher, or she was. She was retired now. And she kept telling me about what she does in her career. She retired from Sam's community. Before that, she had retired from being an RN. She taught nursing. And so I kept saying, that sounds like something I'd love to do. So it took me about two years to transition into a teaching position. Uh, well, actually, no, it took me two years to transition to a university position. I used to work for the University of Mount Olive. I did five years there as a, an admissions rep, and then I transitioned here uh, as an instructor. And so point being is that you're going to have a lot of experiences over your career um, and ultimately you may not start off or end up exactly where you thought you might be you got to be flexible but every step of the way is a learning opportunity so that little I guess uh, biography I just dumped on you guys about my career path 
it, all those steps I went through were learning opportunities, and I'm able to share some of those experiences with you guys and let you know that even though you might not be in a spot where you like it at any time now or in the future, there's other opportunities out there. One good thing about education is that it allows you to have more opportunities. I believe that 100%. Um, I used to work, when I worked at the University of Mount Olive, I worked with adult students that were roughly 21 and up. And that age group of students, there was a lot of students that would come see me and say, I've worked at this company for 10 or 20 years. I've got an opportunity to be promoted, but I don't have a degree. And without that degree, I can't get promoted because everybody else that has less experience has a degree. And so they're, that's, that's a strong preferential thing they're going to give to the person with a degree. And so I can't stress to you enough the importance of what you're doing now because you're doing, not only are you getting that degree and having that credential, but you're also learning some things. This is part of that learning experience that you guys are going through. So, And as we go throughout the semester, I want to learn more about you guys and your experiences, and they will manifest as we start talking, and you can share things that you've gone through and interesting uh, stories to tell. So with Chapter 1, um, the reading in the chapter, there's some learning outcomes. What do managers do to help organizations achieve top performance? What are roles that managers play? Uh, I'm sorry. What are roles that managers play in organizations? And what are the characteristics that effective managers display? So there is a difference between managers and leaders. Um, managers are there to basically serve the organization and make sure things get done. Meaning they've got a laundry list of things to do. And managers are there to make sure they get done. Leaders are there to figure out what are we becoming next and what do we need to get there. So managers are about doing what's important now. Leaders are thinking about tomorrow. What are we going to do tomorrow? Because you can't do what you've always done. I mean, Apple's one of the biggest companies in the world right now. But if they don't innovate and come up with something else, they're going to be nowhere. I mean, I, the iPhone alone I heard yesterday is the fourth largest tech company on earth just the iphone that's just the sales from the iphone but they can't rely on that forever you know they've got to come out with something else airpods you know that's the new thing they came up with a couple years ago they're a really big seller and so you've got to continually innovate that's what leaders do they figure out what we're going to do next and so i've got a picture of a hat up here and i have that on purpose i like your hat that you have there thank you so the reason I have this picture of the hat is that managers often wear a lot of different hats. And you have to know that going in. You, I mean, you're not going to be just, you're not signing up just to be a manager and get things done. There's so much more to it. You've got to be a coach. You've got to be a counselor. You've got to be an advisor. You've got to be an empathetic friend, you know. Uh, and so you've got to be a leader. You know, there's just so many aspects of management. And... Uh, the, depending on the size of your organization, you're going to have a lot more exposure to humanity as, 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 it, you know, as it comes to you, meaning that if you've got an organization where you're only managing two or three people, you're not going to get a lot of diversity in your experiences because you're going to get you know, basically what they have to offer. But if you're in an organization where there's several hundred people, every one of those is a unique individual, and they're going to come at you with a different take on humanity. And so... I would have people in the office crying in front of me about everything under the sun, you know, finances, relationship issues, uh, illness in the family, death in the family. Um, I'd have people um, that were angry over just who knows what. I'd have, have, 
uh, great associates who always did what they're supposed to do. I had people that were um, that had to be let go because of performance issues or attendance issues. And so, uh, as a manager, you've got to understand that you're going to have be expected to multitask and be able to wear a bunch of different hats and be a lot of different things for these individuals. But ultimately, your goal is to keep that boat, hypothetical boat, heading in the direction that the company wants you to go in and actually achieve the performance the company's looking for. And so, what is some other hats, or have you guys had to have wear some different hats when you were in management experiences? Anybody? Some different things that came at you that you're like, well, I'm supposed to do this, but there's this other thing going on. Anything come to mind? No? Now, where have you worked, Derek? Okay. How, 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 well, you're working at PTs now, right? You still working at McCall's? No. How was your experience there? Uh, it's all right. It's all right? How long did you work there? Uh, half a year. Yeah? I got you. Yeah. Now, do they have a management staff there or is it just the owners? Okay. Well, the management staff there, I mean, you know, they're there to manage the people, but if something breaks, they might have to become a handyman, for example, you know, or. That's just another expectation of, hey, I'm going to jump on that and do whatever is needed to fulfill the mission of today. And so a lot of different hats that come into play. All right. So some roles of managers, informational, interpersonal, and decisional. Informational. I believe in almost 100% transparency. Um, I wouldn't say 100% because some things are need to know, like – if you are going to have like a strategic downsizing where you're going to have to lay off, you know, 10 or 20% of your workforce, that's not something you need to go share immediately. That's, I mean, I mean, I don't believe in keeping secrets for extended periods of time. Uh, I like to be as transparent as possible. I'm like 99.9% .9 transparent. But some things do require, what's that? I'm sorry. Good. Something you just said, I worked at a company 10 and a half years. Right. And it had been going downhill. Sure. Yeah. Four years before we finally got word that yes, I mean they had planned it. Right. They started laying people off. Right. Well. Now, now the plant's closed. It's amazing it took four years for it to go from the idea to actually making it happen. You know, because but if as an example, they may have had contracts or a way to keep it going for those four years and without having to lay off people. Um, and if they had let it slip that we're going to plan layoffs, they might have lost 30 or 40% of the workforce within a week or two, and that would have been a detriment because they might have had to hire short-term workers to finish whatever contracts they had in order to honor you know, commitments they had. So, yeah, I mean, it's important to be transparent. I mean, 100%. Exceptions are those things that are um, business critical that could cause you know, some type of harm to the organization, and so, um, you know, like, I'm trying to think of other examples. Now, the example I'm thinking about is like layoffs, and that's a good one, but I was thinking if you knew, like, uh, the company had done something wrong and they were going to make a statement within a short amount of time, like within 48 hours, and you, you said, well, they're going to get in front of it, and they're going to make a statement, and they're going to do it through a PR person, they're going to have a press conference, you know, that is fine, you know, to keep it, 
quiet during that 48-hour window. But if they're keeping it quiet to not you know, tell people about it, to try to hide it, then you have an ethical dilemma. You know, you have a situation where I can't keep this quiet because, you know, it caused harm or whatever to the public, and I can't allow the company to do that. So then you have these things where, you know, whistleblowers, yeah, come into play. So, But informational, you want to get the information out to the people. People expect you to know what's going on, so you want to be a good manager in that regard. Interpersonal, what does that mean? The interpersonal role. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and as a manager, people are always watching you. They're always looking at you to determine, you know, what's your mood, what are you doing, what are you working on, what are you talking about, what are you thinking about. It's crazy. When I worked at Walmart, uh, we had a management office, and it was kind of like a door, and it was not very big. It was a door with a little bit wider, and it went straight back to like right here, and it was just a long office, but not very wide. It was a, kind of a narrow office. But people would walk by the door and just look in there every time they walked in there. It's like, what are these guys doing? What are they plotting? What are they thinking about? You know, it was, they were very nosy. You know, every time you walk by the door, they would look, you know, see what you guys are doing. So if you're sitting in the office, you better believe everybody's walking by is looking at you, you know. So, uh, and they want to determine, you know, what you're thinking about, what you're doing, and how you react to their inquiries or how you react to them says something about you and your capacity to manage interpersonal relationships so if somebody comes to you with a question and you snub them or you you like uh, react in a negative way to them that's going to really put them in a in a bad position because they rely on you for their employments you know and if their source of employment the place where they get income to provide food and shelter for their family if that's in jeopardy because the manager doesn't like me because that's the perception true or not that creates a hostile work environment. It creates a situation where people don't feel secure in their employment, and they start to think, am I safe to keep my job here because the manager barked at me, you know? And so that's why I say it's always important to frame things in a positive context, even if you gotta fire somebody. You know, firing people is not fun. I've had to do it a couple dozen times. No. Yeah. yeah, not fun, no. no. It's not fun for the manager or the person being terminated, but you can frame it in a positive context. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, I, the way I've always done it or I learned to do it is to rip the Band-Aid off very quickly and bring them in, explain to them what's happening, and say, we appreciate the time you spent here, but your services are no longer needed. This will be your last day. Not fun, right? Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to do that. But that's what is required of you as a manager is to do those types of things. And it's often, this is it goes back to that 80%. I see managers that ignore problems, hoping they'll go away, like, oh, well, I won't hold this person accountable because they'll eventually quit, you know. Man, there's there's people that are sorry workers that'll stay there forever. As long as they're getting a paycheck. Or yeah. you have a manager that, like he was talking about, favoritism. Right. This happened to me. I was doing something that was against the rules. Uh-huh. I was trimming four parts instead of just the two. Okay. My manager berated me called me on the carpet in front of another manager. Right. Turned right around that night when I came into work. A friend yeah. was doing the same job with seven parts on the table. And that manager standing right there at the table talking to her eating chips on the floor. Yeah. I got reprimanded, told if I was caught again, I'd get wrote up. Yeah. 
and yet that same, I mean, that another employee is sitting there doing the same. The favoritism thing's a real problem, and if you're obviously caught up in favoritism, it compromises your, manage your integrity. It really I does. Can tell a difference because and I, well, he wasn't my manager the whole time. I had some good managers. Right. But the last three years that I was there, stressing out every night, getting ready to go in. Wondering yeah. What was I going to do wrong? What was she going to call me on the carpet for? You're personified what we're talking about right now. And yeah. so um, I worked third shift, so from right. 11 to 7, it was like, what is, you know, I was, Right. I understand, yeah. Got laid off in July of eight, 2018. Three days later, I was sitting in, front, in an office that didn't get work. A month later, I started college. And yeah. I had never felt more relaxed. That's good. More. I mean, yeah. yeah. Right. Because I got lessons. Yeah, that's okay, though. This is, this is good. This is good. Yeah, don't worry about this. This is much better than what you were going through. And uh, I went through something similar when I was at Walmart. Uh, it was it's never enough you know for like like yeah. like and I, i'm not saying this because it's me i'm being completely objective when i say this i did a good job for that company i killed myself working hard for them and it was just never good enough and um at, i actually quit three times like i'm not, I'm not kidding oh yeah i turned in my notice they said they taught me out of it said no don't leave turn in my notice again uh they said no don't leave and then they started writing me up just like you well, i got yeah What's while up? We're, while we're talking about it, your opinion, every, anybody, you have a manager that speaks a different language that the majority of her employees do not understand. Right. We're in a meeting before the start of the shift. She's standing there talking to one person in Spanish. Right. None of us other ones understand what she's saying. Is that proper? I'll say this, I'll say that this goes right back to what I said in the very beginning, how managers are not trained, they're not good at interpersonal skills, and uh, in that scenario, it's probably not the best thing to do or most appropriate or, or most professional thing to do, but uh, this is why it's so important to be educated and to learn the right way to be in a management. You should never have to berate an individual, you should never have to embarrass an individual, you should never have employees going home and feeling like sick because they're no. worried about their job. I'm no. emotional anyway. Right. And I had to sit in my car right. for 20 minutes yeah. just to collect myself. Yeah. Because, I mean, I had totally lost it. If you send an employee home and they're crying about something you said to them, you failed as a manager. And, yeah, that's, that's not how I teach my students to operate. you got to do better because these are human beings. <laughs> these are individuals that have feelings, they have families, they have the same wants and needs that we have. And so if you're sending people home and they're crying, you failed as a manager. Your job is to, if you've got an employee that's not doing well, your job is to help them improve or send them to the door. There's no in-between, okay? Like, get them on a path of improvement and build them up, but don't, like, drag them along and berate them and talk trash about them behind their back because you're not manager enough to hold them accountable by writing them up and kicking them out, you know. That's, I mean, it's really that simple. And it's, I know it's easier said than done, and I'm, I'm saying it because I've had some experience with it, but this is the kind of mentality you guys need to have if you're going to be in management. You need to say there's no reason to ever uh, send people home making them feel bad, you know. 
Like you want people to be inspired. You want people to come to work and do a good job because they care about you, not that they care about the company. They want to work because they know that you're there to support them and help them. Your job as a manager should be, I want to help you get my job and really mean it, you know, because you want to get the vice president's job or the president's job, you know. I mean, there is, I mean, there is no, you should be territorial about positions, you know, like uh, there's opportunities everywhere. So work on your interpersonal skills and uh, try to see things from other people's perspective. The, one of the number one characteristics that people admire in managers, guess what it is? Empathy. Empathy. What does that mean? Understanding how people feel. Correct. Right. And you don't know. I mean, like, an associate comes in, my dog died. You're like, well, you, you, you may not be a dog person. But to them, that was their child. And that was their baby. You know, and so you need to understand to them, that's a significant life event. And you may not be able to give them the shift off and say, you know, I'm so sorry. I need you for a little while, but I can send you home early and call somebody in. You know, try to work with individuals. I mean, as long as you're able to work with individuals and get your job done, get the, get the mission accomplished, there's no reason to be a jerk about it. You don't have to. There's so there's uh, two ways you can say something. You know, I call it the, the positive sandwich. You can say, hey, you do a terrible job. I hate that you're here. Or you can say, I appreciate you being here. These are some things we can improve upon, and I'm here to help you do it. That's said the same thing, but you put some positivity around it, and it changes the context. And that way this person doesn't go home feeling like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my job because my manager hates me. I've been there. I've stayed up all night long. Like, I used to, I used to work third shifts. I'd get off at 9 o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep because I was so jacked up because I was – my manager made me feel, like, terrible, you know. I'm like, okay, and I just I just worked my tail off all night long for 13 or 14 hours. So it'd be like 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm still awake because I can't sleep, and I've got to get up and go do it again the next night, you know. I've been in that vicious cycle. Your health and happiness is not worth any job. Let me repeat that. Your health and your happiness is not worth any job. It's just not. If you're somewhere that you're completely miserable, get out. Do something different. There's jobs everywhere. And guess what? With the credentials you're going to earn here at Wayne and beyond, you have opportunities. And so don't feel like you're trapped in a job. You're not. There's other opportunities. And so this last role of managers is decisional. What does that mean? You have to make decisions, absolutely. And you want to be able to have the best and the most information present. You're not always going to have complete information. But there's a reason why we have a ratio of one mouth to two ears. We should listen twice as much as we speak. And so when somebody's telling you a story, meaning they're explaining what's going on, you want to get all the facts you can. Listen. And you don't have to, in most cases, you don't have to make a decision immediately. But you need to be decisive. You need to make a decision. The company hired you to make decisions on their behalf. And so you're there to be a shot caller, to make calls, to make decisions. You know, imagine being a referee at Super Bowl Sunday. You're on the field. you got to make calls, right? You're not there to think about it or figure it out. You're there to make calls. That's what you're paid to do is make decisions. And so as a manager, you're there to make decisions. Uh, you're not going to make 100%. You're not going to have about 1,000. You're going to make mistakes. But you're going to learn from those mistakes. And some of these things you can't learn in school. You've got to learn in the real world and realize, oh, I made a mistake. If you make a mistake, own it immediately. Say, hey, guess what? I dropped the ball. But guess what? We can pick it up. One of my bosses that I had in the past, one of the best bosses I ever had, she told me, said it's not a problem if it's fixable. Hear that. It's not a problem if it's fixable. 
if, it, if you can't fix it, then we got a little bit of a problem. But most problems that we have are fixable, right? Yeah? And uh, there's a book I read many years ago now. It's called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Uh, and the subtitle was, And It's All Small Stuff. It really is. The things we stress about and worry about at work and at home don't even matter a year from now most of the time, right? Most of the time it's not even matters a week from now. So, you know, stop stressing so much about these things, these decisions, and agonizing over when most of the time doesn't matter. Yeah. So do as I say, not as I do. Have you heard that before? Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, you got to pick your. Yeah. Right. It's not wrong, but you do have to pick your battles. Um, yeah, I mean, what I mean by that is you can't get engaged in everything that you want in business or in life. I mean, you've got to pick your spots. And if it's something that's really mission critical, that's when you need to stand up and speak out. But is it the, I don't know, let me just say, I mean, you being in the position you're in, you're not a, you're not a manager, correct? He's knowing how he's wanted me to be. Right. Right. situations you really got to pick your battles like I said because uh, you don't know I mean you're not totally responsible for this business I mean you're there to uh, stay within the line so to speak and I had to learn this lesson myself when I was at Walmart I saw a ton of things that I thought were issues and problems and you're gonna have issues and problems at every job you go to there's gonna be opportunities there are gonna be things you don't agree with sometimes it's best just to stay in the lines do your job e efficiently and move on but if you see something egregious that really is mission critical that's when you need to say it's time to pick that battle and stand up and say this is wrong or incorrect or it's causing a major problem so I got a piece of advice from a mentor many years ago now he told me that uh, the longer you stay in your career the more often your advice will be sought but the less often you should give it because it makes it more valuable if you're the person in every meeting that's standing up and throwing out your advice People go, oh, here he goes again, you know, and and there's people like that, you know, that you go to uh, meetings or organizations and they're the same people that are always sounding off. And after a while, nobody wants to hear them talk anymore. It's like, okay, you know, you've said what you had to say. But when it counts, when you really have to speak up, that's 
when you, and you use your voice for that, then people are saying, okay, this person hasn't said a lot. Now they're choosing this battle. I mean, I think that's the best thing to do in your situation. You don't want to jump into something and make a mess of something when really, uh, unless it's, like I said, mission critical, it's not worth your time and effort, you know. you got to value your own time. And uh, I don't think, you know, I don't know exactly what the scenario is, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste a lot of time with stuff that's not mission critical. So, All right, so we talked about those roles, informational, interpersonal, and decisional. There's some hats, so to speak, within those. So in the informational, you've got a monitor. They seek and receive information from a variety of sources. A disseminator, they pass information on to others in the organization through memos, emails, phone calls, etc. And a spokesperson, transmit information to people outside the organization through speeches, interviews, and written communication. So when I mentioned there's a lot of hats that we wear, one manager could be all three of those roles. They could be the monitor, disseminator, and the spokesperson. Or you could have, depending on the size of the organization, three individuals that do all three things or a variety of individuals that do part of these things. The interpersonal roles, the, this is a figurehead. They perform duties like greeting visitors and signing contracts and other legal documents. A leader who motivates, trains, counsels, communicates, and directs subordinates. And a liaison, maintain and manage information links inside and outside the organization. Um, I love this idea of leadership, and it doesn't have to be somebody that's in a leadership role. Leaders can be at any level, level of the organization. Um, you want to be a leader regardless of where you're at in the organization. You want to be known as somebody that's a self-starter, that inspires others to do good work, that's a team, team builder. Uh, that's the, that's, it just looks good, and it does help you professionally to be that person. And then lastly, decisional and entrepreneur, they initiate projects that lead to improvements, delegate idea generation, responsibilities to others, and identify best practices, I'm sorry, identify best ideas to act on. A disturbance handler, they take corrective action during conflict and crisis, resolve disputes among, disord uh, sorry, resolve disputes among subordinates. A resource allocator decides who receives resources, manages schedules and budgets, and sets priorities. And a negotiator represents a team, department, or organization regarding contracts, new negotiations, etc. As a manager, you can be all of these things. You don't, I mean, the, like I said, it really depends on the size of the organization, but you very well could fill all of these roles. And it's important to know what these roles are, how they function, and what you could do in those roles. Um, questions about any of this so far? Comments, okay. So, managerial responsibilities. An important question often raised about managers is, what responsibilities do managers have in organizations? According to our definition, managers are involved in planning, organizing, directing, and controlling. Managers have described the responsibilities that can be aggregated into nine major types of activity. These include long-range planning. Managers occupy executive positions, are frequently involved in strategic planning and development. When, um, at Walmart, we have this thing called a SWAS, a store within a store, S-W-A-S. And a SWAS was basically whatever area you were responsible for, they wanted you to forecast a 30, 60, 90-day plan in order to know what's upcoming. Um, if you've ever worked in retail, you know retail is very seasonal. And uh, every 
retailer that's selling goods is always thinking about the next season that's coming up. And there's really a holiday for almost every month or every other month, right? Right now we're in Valentine's Day zone, right? And after that we go to St. Patty's Day and Easter. And then we go into uh, summer, you're right, 4th of July. Then it's back to school. And then from back to school, it's, it's harvest or autumn, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And so, like, long-range planning is very much applicable there. Um, regardless of what you're selling, there's going to be peaks and valleys throughout the year of when things sell better and, and when they do not. Um, generally speaking, the fourth quarter of a year is when a lot of businesses rake in a lot of money uh, because people are spending for the holidays, right? And so... You want to look at what merchandise, you know, goods or services are selling well during the next 30, 60, 90 days based on your previous year's sales. So right now, if I was in a retail establishment and we sold product, whatever it is, I would go back to 2019 and look at February, March, and April and look at what sold well during those months and try to figure out how can we capture more value uh, or capture more uh, dollars from the customer based on last year's performance. A good example of this is bike sales. Um, one of the number one Christmas items for kids every year is bicycles. And so every, every I mean, regardless of, I mean, just kids like bikes, right? It's a big wow item. I got a bike, yay! Regardless of all the video game stuff, kids still like bikes. Um, and so every year, Walmart orders a ton of bikes to come in uh, pre-Christmas, and they'll have assemblers come in and put them together and their goal is to fill up the bike rack. They want that thing slam full because that last few weeks before Christmas, people come snatch up bikes and buy them up. And so that's part of the long-range planning. If you fail to order the bikes, the warehouse might run out. You don't have any. You're missing sales. You're missing those opportunities. So long-range planning is vital. Controlling, number two, managers evaluate and take corrective action concerning the allocation and use of human, financial, and material resources. Keeping control of your resources. Um, so I like the term corrective action. You see something that's not working, how can you take control of that process and do it better? Something's not working out. So um, if you see, as an example, an associate doing something that they're wasting, you know, a, a material that you're having to buy as the company, you can step in and say, hey, you're wasting a lot of these materials doing that. Do it this way and it'll work better. Or if you've got three people working on a project when really two could do it and that third person can be doing something else productive, that's really a good way to identify how to move people around, that kind of stuff. Um, environmental scanning, managers must continually watch for changes in the business environment and monitor business indicators such as returns on equity or investment, economic indicators, business cycles, and so forth. Environmental scanning is where managers have an obligation to look at their competitive environments. You know, you want to be abreast of what your competitors are selling, how much they're selling it for. It's very common for grocers to go to other grocery stores and look at what specials they have to try to match or to do something like that. That's a very common practice. In fact, Sam Walton, he, um, he wrote, had a biography. I don't think he wrote it. It was written by somebody else, but it's called Made in America, the Sam Walton story. I had to read it for uh, my management training, but I read it a couple times, well, once before and once after that, so I've read it a couple times. But he was notorious for going to competitors and walking around with a legal pad and a tape recorder and copying basically what all of his competitors were doing it and doing it better. And so he was a pro at doing environmental scanning. 
Do you ever do this, by the way? Um, do you ever do any benchmarking? Um, sometimes we'll go to like Target and see what their price of their new equipment is right. so that we can price it correctly using our equipment. Oh, okay. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, if you, if a, a toy, for example, might be, you know, $40 and you're charging 38 you know, that might not be an appropriate price point, you know. So, okay, I got you. Okay. Um, supervision. Managers continually oversee the work of their supervisors. You need to be visible. You don't need to sit in the office and let the workers do their thing because it, in a very short window, they'll learn, hey, boss is in the back sleeping in the office. I can do whatever I want because they're not here and they're not being seen. You need to have ownership of that business. Even if you're not the owner, you're the manager. Ownership means that you take a ownership stake in the business, that you're uh, owning what's happening. And you need to be seen. There's this uh, uh, phrase called MBWA, managing by walking around. And you need to take, take laps to check out people, what they're doing, ask them how their day's going. Um, managing is more than just you know observing. You need to, going back to that interpersonal communication, I like to ask people questions about who they are, what they're doing, not getting too personal. There's, some, there's a level of question that is not too personal, but it's, um, it's informational and it gives you some insights. Like everybody likes some of the following. What kind of music do you like? You know, what kind of TV sh movie shows you like? What kind of books do you read? Do you play any video games? Or what do you do as hobbies? You know, uh, tell me, tell me about yourself. What do you do? All those are very surface level uh, questions. That's getting a little bit into the interpersonal of what you know what they like, and I guarantee you can find some common ground between anybody. You know, that's the goal. You want to have something that you relate to that individual with. So when you talk to them about it, they're interested. Like you know, if I walked around and said, you know, what are you watching on Netflix these days? And they tell me about a show. So wow, that's a great. I love that show. I've seen it too. And I say, what did you think about episode seven or whatever? You know, I mean, you're developing interpersonal relationships. And from your perspective, you're learning about them, but they're also learning about you. You know, they say, well, Ryan's a great manager. He's cool. He comes and talks to me. He asks me about how my day is going. He, you know, we talk about Netflix. But what you're really doing is building relationships and observing at the same time. You're looking at what they're working on. That's a good question. What are you working on today? You know, how, you know what's going on? Um, I had a manager great manager she would walk through and always just say what you working on what you, and that is just like kind of put you on the spot you know what you working on and this was just notorious for doing this but it kept you engaged and you wanted to have something constructive that you were doing to tell her about so um so supervision is where we're going to stop for today we're going to pick it back up on thursday and complete chapter one i appreciate your attention guys if you have any questions about anything drop me an email okay thanks guys Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you liked it, please subscribe, like, and share. If you're feeling extra generous, please consider leaving an iTunes review. My name is Ryan Bradshaw, and I produce this podcast to help students connect with the material, but also to be able to share the content with the world. My hope is through education, we can make the world a kinder, happier, and better place. Thank you for joining me, and I look forward to our time together in the future. Until then, I wish you well.